Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Hello, beloved. How are you doing? I pray that you're doing well. And I don't, the, it seems to me that the seasons are going so fast. I guess that's what happens as we age. Everything goes too fast. And this Sunday is already Septuagesima Sunday. Now, if you have always attended the Novus Ordo uh, Mass, you probably know nothing or little about Septuagesima. And so many of the beautiful rituals of the church, its history, our own identification as Catholics have, have just been thrown out. It, it is it's just such a tragedy. And after I began to discover tradition, I, I, I just don't want anything else. It, it's so beautiful. It tells us who we are. It tells us how to live as Catholics. So this Sunday is Septuagesima Sunday. Um, the sept is stand for seven. The season of Septuagesima comprises the three weeks immediately preceding Lent. So, dear ones, the church, if you go to the Novus Ordo or I don't know where, but you, it's just an ordinary uh, Sunday and there's no preparation. But the season of Septuagesima comprises the three weeks immediately preceding Lent. It forms one of the principal divisions of the liturgical year, and it is itself divided into three parts, each part corresponding to a week. The first is called Septuagesima, that's seven weeks, um, three weeks preceding Lent, but seven Septuagesima preceding Easter. The second is Sexagesima, meaning six, and the third Quinquagesima, meaning five weeks yet to Easter. But then Lent has arrived. All three are named from their numerical reference to Lent, which in the language of the Church is called Quadragesima, that is 40, because the great feast of Easter is prepared for by um, holy exercises of 40 days. The words Quinquagesima, Sexagesima, and Septuagesima tell us of the same great solemnity um, as looming in the distance and as being a great object toward which the church would have us now begin to turn all our thoughts and desires and devotion. The Feast of Easter must be prepared for by a 40 days recollectedness and penance. Dear moms, dear dads, it's now, as of this Sunday, to begin to prepare for Lent, to teach your children not just tomorrow we give up chocolate or, or candy or coffee or something. No, 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 no. We prepare now. Why are we allowed? Why are we given the great privilege of walking with our Lord through the desert, of sharing in his passion? Um. And so the Feast of Easter must be prepared for by a 40 days recollectedness and penance. Those 40 days are one of the principal seasons 
of the liturgical year and one of the most powerful means employed by the church for exciting in the hearts of her children the spirit of their Christian vocation. I'm reading from Don Geringer's liturgical year. It is of the utmost importance that such a season of penance should produce its work in our souls, the renovation of the whole spiritual life. The church, therefore, has instituted a preparation for the holy time of Lent. She gives us the three weeks of Septuagesima, during which she withdraws us as much as may be from the noisy distractions of the world, in order that our hearts may be the more ready, impressed, readily impressed by the solemn warning she is to give us at the commencement of Lent by marking our foreheads with ashes. This prelude to the holy season of Lent was not known in the early ages of Christianity. Its institution would seem to have originated in the Greek church. The practice of this church being never so fast, never to fast on Saturdays, the number of fasting, um, hold on just a moment. Um, hold on now. This prelude to the holy season of Lent. My computer keeps jumping. Um, here it is, was not known in the early ages of Christianity. Its institution would seem to have originated in the Greek church. The practice of this church being never to fast on Saturdays, the number of fasting days in Lent, besides the six Sundays of Lent, on which by universal custom the faithful never fasted, there were also the six Saturdays, which the Greeks would never allow to be observed as days of fasting. Hold on. Excuse me. Oh, excuse me. I think I, I can blame our dog. I mentioned a few days ago, if my glasses look crooked and bitten, they are, because we rescued a, an Aussie shepherd <coughs> for him. He's between two and three, but he's chewing up everything in his path. And last night he chewed up the, uh, uh, the cord to our heater. So we have no heater. So we are in sweaters today. <laughs> He's an adorable dog. He's very good, but he can't be cooped up. Okay, here we go. Um, okay, let me read. The Feast of Easter must be prepared for... Um, no, I already read that. Um <clears throat> It was after the pontificate of St. Gregory that the last four days of Quinquagesima week were added to Lent in order that the number of fasting days might be exactly 40. As early, however, as the ninth century, the custom of beginning Lent on Ash Wednesday was of obligation in the whole Latin church. All the manuscript copies of the Gregorian Sacramentary, which bear that date, call this Wednesday in the Incapite Yeunt. I'm not pronouncing that right. It is to, it translated the beginning of the fast. And Amalarius gives us every detail of the liturgy of the ninth century. They tell us that it was even then the rule to begin the fast 
four days before the first Sunday of Lent. And we, we find the practice confirmed by two councils held in that century, um, Mau and Soissons. But out of respect for the form of divine service drawn up by St. Gregory, the Church does not make any important change in the office of these four days up to the Vespers of Saturday, when alone she begins the Lenten rite, R-I-T-E. She observes the rubrics prescribed for quinquatesima week. Um, Hold on, please. (coughs) This goes through, it's the history of Lent, and it grows through... um, goes through all the history of the development of Lent in the different rites. Um, But I'm going to just conclude with the last paragraph here. As the season of Septuagesima depends upon time of the Easter celebration, it comes sooner or later. Hold on. Sooner or later, according to the changes of that great feast, the 18th of January and the 22nd of February, called the Septuagesima Keys, because the Sunday, which is called Septuagesima, cannot be earlier in the year than the 1st, earlier than the January 22nd, nor later than, um, uh, it cannot be earlier than the 18th of January or later than the 22nd of February. Um, Okay, let me just continue with one more thing. Hold on. Oh, my apologies, dear ones. Um, hold on now. The second uh, sermon of uh, Dom Garanger is... Um, it's the mystery of Lent, of Septuagesima. And um, that is, is magnificent. The season upon which we are now entering is expressive of several profound mysteries. But these mysteries belong not only to the three weeks, which are preparatory to Lent. They continue throughout the whole period of time which separates us from the great feast of Easter. The number seven is the basis of all these mysteries. We have already seen how the Holy Church came to introduce the season of Septuagesima into her calendar. Let us now meditate on the doctrine hid under the symbols of her liturgy. We will continue with this, dear ones, as soon as we come back from the break. And at the second break, as always, it'll be our half hour together for whatever calls emails, whatever's on your heart. The toll-free number, it's never too early to call in. Um, you can, we take our calls in order. Um, and uh, the number is one 5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Um, I think it's more important this year than ever in our lifetimes to begin to understand and to teach our families about Easter and its preparation. We'll be right back. 
When you talk to people who were locked in sin and you can't convince them to leave their sin, it's because they don't have any fear of hell. They fear God, they don't want to offend him, but nobody talks about the fact that hell's real or that it endures forever. So you stand before the truth of God and you're illuminated completely in his truth. All you see is all the filthiness, the wretchedness, how vile you are and how you hate him. You hate the one that you stand in front of. So what if he tries to give you a hug? You hate him, you won't accept it. What if he says, please come in? I hate you, I would never come in there. This is how horrible it is. This is, this is what has to be meditated on. To die in a state of sin means that you hate God. Whether you feel like you hate God or you don't, it doesn't matter. Not having the grace of God means you hate him. That's Sermons for Everyday Living from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. Download the app to take our programming with you wherever you go. Hear what listeners are saying about the regularly updated iCatholic Radio app. The programs on iCatholic Radio are uplifting, educational, and I've served to deepen my faith as a Catholic. Thank you for this amazing station. Download the free iCatholic Radio app in your Android or Apple store today. If you already have the app, please consider giving us a five-star review or telling a friend about it. What you're offering and giving to me, you deserve to get back because you're offering more than I can give. I learned so much through the station on the cross. I listen to the radio station daily and I absolutely love it. I was attending the chapel and places like that and through your programs I was able to find out how other Protestants had come back into the Catholic Church. God bless the Station of the Cross. Donate today at thestationofthecross.com Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved family to Mother Miriam Live. I am live and I am she and I'm so happy to tell you that. Um, and we are reading the mystery of Septuagesima, which begins this Sunday. Um, if you are in the extraordinary rite, in the Latin rite, um, the Latin church, you, uh, you will automatically celebrate this. If you're in the Novus Ordo, uh, you're being robbed of much of our tradition and faith and the ability to raise your children in the faith. Um, you can go, if you wish, to, um, um, let's see, uh, just look up Don, D-O-M, Garanger, G-U-E-R-A-N-G-E-R, and the liturgical year, and type in Septuagesima, and you will get all of his homilies, and it's absolutely, absolutely fantastic. Um, let me continue as much as we can before the second break. The number seven, Gesetuagesima, is seven weeks prior to Easter and three begins the three-week preparation to Lent, and then Lent is 40 days. So um, Septuagesima, <coughs> seven weeks, seven Sundays prior to Easter, the season upon which we are now entering this Sunday, is expressive of several profound mysteries. But these mysteries belong not only to the three weeks, which are preparatory to Lent, 
they continue throughout the whole period of time which separates us from the great feast of Easter. The number seven is the basis of all these mysteries. We have already seen how the Holy Church came to introduce the season of Septuagesima into her calendar. Let us now meditate on the doctrine hid under the symbols of her liturgy. And first, let us listen to St. Augustine, who thus gives us the clue to the whole of our season's mysteries. Quote, There are two times, says the Holy Doctor, one which is now and is spent in the temptations and tribulations of this life, the other which shall be then and shall be spent in eternal security and joy. In figure of these, we celebrate two periods, the time before Easter and the time after Easter. That which is before Easter signifies the sorrow of this present life. That which is after Easter, the blessedness of our future state. Hence it is that we spend the first in fasting and prayer, and in the second we give up our fasting and give ourselves to praise. End quote from St. Augustine. The Church, the interpreter of the sacred scriptures, often speaks to us of two places which correspond with these two times of St. Augustine. These two places are Babylon and Jerusalem. Babylon is the image of this world of sin, in the midst whereof the Christian has to spend his years of probation. Jerusalem is the heavenly country where he is to repose after all his trials. The people of Israel, whose whole history is but one great type of the human race, was banished from Jerusalem and kept in bondage in Babylon. Now this captivity, which kept the Israelites exiles from Sion, lasted 70 years. And it is to express this mystery Um, as many of the great liturgists tell us, that the church fixed, (coughs) excuse me, that the church fixed the number of 70 for the days of expiation. It is true, there are but 63 days between Septuagesima and Easter, but the church, according to the style so continually used in the sacred scriptures, uses the round number instead of the literal and precise one. And I might add that Jewish people did the same. Excuse me one moment. We speak of our Lord being in the grave three days, but it wasn't three 24-hour days. It was parts of three days. And the Jewish people always counted a part of the day as a day. <clears throat> the duration of the world itself, according, <clears throat> according to the ancient Christian tradition, is divided into seven ages. The human race must pass through seven ages before the dawning of the day of eternal life. The first age included the time from creation of Adam to Noah, The second begins with Noah and the renovation of the earth by the deluge and ends with the vocation of Abraham. The third opens with this first formation of God's chosen people. 
and continues as far as Moses, through whom God gave the law. The fourth consists of the period between Moses and David, in whom the house of Judah received the kingly power. The fifth is formed of the years which passed between David's reign and the captivity of Babylon, inclusively. The sixth dates from the return of the Jews to Jerusalem and takes us on as far as the birth of our Savior. And then finally comes the seventh age. It starts with the rising of this merciful Redeemer, the Son of Justice, and is to continue till the dread coming of the judge of the living and the dead. These are the seven great divisions of time, after which eternity. Now, beloved, if you read the Old Testament scriptures, which are your heritage, and every bit of it speaks of and points to Christ, who was its fulfillment, but the seventh age does not begin until he rises from the dead, So the sixth age continues through his birth and passion Um, because our Lord was born under the new law and he instituted, under the old law rather, the Old Testament and law, same thing, and he um, instituted the new uh, testament in his blood at the Last Supper and was crucified and rose from the dead. So... This, in a paragraph, is your history, beloved. It's our history. And if you don't read the scriptures, you're not going to know who you are. And your children are not going to know. And if you read through the Bible from Genesis straight through to Revelation, or at least straight through to the Gospels and maybe the book of Acts, you will know your history. You will know your history. And then this paragraph if you memorize, which is very, very easy to do once you understand what it's saying, memorize these seven ages, you will always have in mind salvation history. And nobody can ever threaten you as a Catholic because you know who you are. And you know why you are who you are. Excuse me. I'm going to continue in order to console us in the midst of the combats which so thickly beset our path, the church, like a beacon shining amidst the darkness of this, our earthly abode, shows us another seven, which is to succeed the one we are now preparing to pass through. After Septuagesima of mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, we shall have the bright Easter with its seven weeks of gladness, foreshadowing the happiness and bliss of heaven. After having fasted with our Jesus and suffered with him, the day will come when we shall rise together with him and our hearts shall follow him to the highest heavens. And then after a brief interval, we shall feel descending upon us the Holy Ghost with his seven gifts. (laughs) The celebration of all these wondrous joys will take us seven weeks, as the great liturgists observe in their interpretation of the rites, R-I-T-E-S, of the church. The seven joyous weeks from Easter to Pentecost will not be too long for the future glad mysteries, which after all will be but figures of a still gladder future, the future of eternity. 
having heard these sweet whisperings of hope, let us now bravely face the realities brought before us by our dear mother, the church. We are sojourners upon this earth. We are exiles and captives in Babylon, that city which plots our ruin. If we love our country, if we long to return to it, we must be proof against the lying allurements of this strange land and refuse the cup she proffers us and with which she maddens so many of our fellow captives. She invites us to join in her feasts and her songs, but we must unstring our harps and hang them on the willows that grow on her river's bank till the signal be given for our return to Jerusalem. She will ask us to sing to her the melodies of our dear Zion. These, if you follow the, we follow the Benedictine diurnal and last night at Vespers. This was our saint. This was our song. She will ask us to sing to her the melodies of our dear Zion. But how shall we, who are so far from home, have a heart to sing the song of the Lord in a strange land? No, there must be no sign that we are content to be in bondage, or we shall deserve to be slaves forever. These are the sentiments wherewith the church would inspire us during the penitential season. Sunday, beloved, begins the penitential season, which we are entering into now. She wishes us to reflect on the dangers that beset us, dangers which arise from our own selves and from creatures During the rest of the year, she loves to hear us chant the song of heaven, the sweet alleluia. But now she bids us close our lips to this word of joy because we are in Babylon. We are pilgrims absent from our Lord. Let us keep our glad hymn for the day of his return. We are sinners and have but too often held fellowship with the world of God's enemies. Let us become purified by repentance For it is written that praise is unseemly in the mouth of a sinner. The leading feature, then, of Septuagesima is the total suspension of the Alleluia, which is not to begin again, not to be again heard upon the earth until the arrival of that happy day, when having suffered death with our Jesus and having been buried together with him, We shall rise again with him to a new life. The sweet hymn of the angels, Gloria in Excelsis Deo, which we have sung every Sunday since the birth of our Savior in Bethlehem, is also taken from us. It is only on the feasts of the saints, which may be kept during the week, that we shall be allowed to repeat it. The night office of the Sunday is to loose also, from now till Easter, its magnificent Ambrosian hymn, the Te Deum, and at the end of the holy sacrifice, the deacon will no longer dismiss the faithful with his Ite Missa Est, but will simply invite them to continue their prayers in silence and bless the Lord, the God of mercy, who bears with us, notwithstanding all our sins. There's the music, beloved for the second break. When we come back, we will have a half hour all to ourselves to um, for whatever's on your heart. The heart of the matter is the matter of your heart. Your calls, your emails, 
uh, toll free one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three. We'll be right. Saving a Miracle, Raw Stories from the Heart is a collection of personal testimonies from pro-life advocates with different backgrounds and experiences, both tragic and triumphant, who came to see the beauty in choosing life. Hear from a Marine, a football player, and a lawyer conceived in rape, some who were coerced or pressured by doctors, some who regretted their choice and others who resisted, and one who was saved by the law. All overcame all found light and reconciliation in Jesus Christ. Be touched by their testimony this Sunday night, January 28th at 11 p.m. Eastern on EWTN. That's Saving a Miracle, Raw Stories from the Heart, this Sunday night, January 28th, 11 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Television. beloved this is mother miriam how would you like to wake up each morning to inspiring sermons from knowledgeable and faith-filled priests you can tune in to sermons for everyday living every day at 6 a.m eastern on the station of the cross you can listen on the station of the cross.com or anytime on the free iCatholic radio mobile app god bless you Guaranteed five freedoms in the First Amendment. Freedom of speech. Freedom of religion. Freedom of the press. Freedom to peacefully assemble. Freedom to petition the government. Only the United States has these five freedoms so simply bound together and guaranteed. Think first. Learn more at thinkfirstamendment.org. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our half hour and I'm um thrilled thrilled to be with you and to answer to try to answer or uh, give us um references for the answers to anything on your heart again the toll free number is 18775115483 or email at mother at the station of the com. we have pat from erie pennsylvania on the line hello pat hi mother how are you i'm doing great thanks good well, I just have, I guess, more of a, I suppose, a comment. Uh, I'm having a real hard time with this uh, blessing of the homosexuals. and uh, I wish everybody I, had a hard time with it. <laughs> well, I, he, okay, here's my feeling on it. I, first of all, I don't hate them. I wouldn't treat them any differently than anybody else, but they... I do not agree with it, and I do not agree with this blessing. Now, this blessing, you know, I've had people say to me, well, you know, they're just blessing the person. I said, well, when you have two gay people standing there holding hands in front of an altar of some sort, I said, and they're getting a blessing, they're not blessing, they're blessing 
the situation. They're not blessing that person, like an individual blessing of, you know, right. it's different. And, you know, of course, uh, we, you know, we kind of go back and forth. And, and I guess my question is, you know, I don't agree with it. Um, I have a our priest. No Catholic should agree with it. No Catholic should agree with it. Well, I don't know how they they can think that. I don't know how the Pope and other other uh, bishops, cardinals, what have you, can can look at that and say that's okay. I don't understand because they've that. lost the faith, Pat. They have lost the faith. Even if you make the case that the blessing is for individuals, and I agree totally with you, two two men come together holding hands, they 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 live together, they sleep together, and and but they want individual blessings. It's it's insane. But even if one man, one single homosexual comes and asks the priest for a blessing, the priest should not give him a blessing for what? The only blessing that uh, any homosexual. Uh, should ask for is to to repent to repent of his sin of his disordered life and turn back to god with whatever help he can get and there's plenty of help for um homosexuals um who want to turn back to god um that's the only so if he comes to the priest for confession and repentance with a uh, determination to turn from that lifestyle, not at the end of the week, but that moment, um, then yes, the priest can bless him. That's the only way. Well, you know, I've had people say, well, you know, love a, love a sinner, or love the sin and hate the sinner. Or wait a minute, love a That's sinner exactly and hate right. the sin. That's exactly right. That's right. God loves that. them. I do love them as because God created them, but I don't love what they do. Well, that's the way God is. He loves the sinner and he doesn't love the sin because that sin will send people to hell. How could, how could we love someone and let them continue on the road to hell? And that's, I think the Pope said, or there was some inference to, uh, well, kind of like, well, if we, we do this, we have to, how do I say it? Maybe, maybe, maybe they'll come back to the church or something. I don't want them, if they want to come back to the church, they have to stop what they're doing. That's right. <laughs> I mean, they have to repent. Have, yes, That's they have right. to repent. And uh, it's very upsetting to me. Now, our priest had written something from our diocese uh, in the bulletin this past week, and he's going to have a continuation of it. Um, I know he, I, I'm quite sure he doesn't agree with it. However, you know, it's a difficult thing to even understand because there some some that don't agree with it, or some of them seem to be put in a spot. You know, of, no one should well, be I, put in a spot. the The problem people are put the reason people are put in the spot is that they are not fully Catholic, or they're afraid. They don't care enough for other people's souls to speak the truth. They care about the reactions of people. And that's not love for anybody. You speak the truth. If you're Catholic, you need to know the truth and you need to speak the truth. That's our vocation as Catholics, to spread the gospel to every creature. That is our calling. And if we hesitate and we're cowards or we think we're being nice by some kind of compromise, we are damning people and we will be accountable for it. And, well, how do you handle, you know, knowing that your priest maybe is blessing these uh, couples, because that's what they are, no matter what anybody wants to say. These, no, that's fine. If your, priest, if your priest is blessing homosexual couples, any priest, 
uh, or individuals. They say it's individual. doesn't matter. We need to bring the gospel and bring them to repentance. If a priest is doing that, you need to confront him respectfully. Just say, Father, uh, why would you damn souls and tell them that the lifestyle they're living it can be blessed when the Apostle Paul says no homosexual, no effeminate will enter heaven. How can you do that? And if he gives you a reason and you can't reason with him, you must find another parish. Don't go there anymore. Okay. Well, I appreciate it because it's really a very disturbing thing to me. And I, you know, what's next? Marriage, <laughs> what they called marriage and uh, communion. And well, I mean, like, that's right. You're right, Pat. Uh, You're right. So two things, two things. Pray we are in a, an age and a state of apostasy. And uh, I can't even tell you that the Holy Father is Catholic. I can't possibly even tell you that. But be grateful. for the. Don't be angry. Because if you get angry, you can get angry at sin. No, no problem. But uh, be grateful that you have the true faith and that you can help others to know it. Right, right. Okay, yeah. live, your, live your faith in love and in holiness and let God live through you that way. And understand that the church is in a state of apostasy and God has allowed Pope Francis to be Pope. We don't understand the reason, but I, I can't even imagine he has any faith, not Catholic faith. I just, I don't understand it while, how he can get rid of good priests that he has, has gotten rid of, and then keep some of the ones that are, not just priests, cardinals, bishops, what have you, but That's I, right. I just don't, I, it's very, it's very upsetting. And, and, you know, it's a shame that um, the, the non-Catholics out there, you know, they just, they're eating this up. They, you know, it's, it's great. Well, the Catholic Church get, I hear that all the time. You know, I know. Catholic Church this and a Catholic Church that. And it's, oh my goodness, I don't know. <laughs> Well, I tell you what, when I came into the church, Pat, it was a three, four and a half year agonizing journey. And if it were up to Catholics, I'd never be Catholic. Rather, uh, but it was up to the teaching of the church. I read my way into the church and I found the pearl of great price. But most Catholics, I would never have become Catholic. They didn't know their faith. They lived in sin. Uh, and, and it was a struggle. Because the most difficult thing for converts are Catholics, and it shouldn't be. So be different. Don't walk around complaining. Don't walk around angry. Don't walk around criticizing. Walk around speaking the truth and be a light, including to your pastor. Yes, I'm going to see what the next, this coming Sunday's uh, bulletin says, because it's continued, and just kind of feel it out and see what happens, and then I will. Very good. And pray for him, for sure. <laughs> okay, thank pray you. God is the one who answers prayer. Don't worry about that. But you will be remiss if you don't pray for him. Okay, yes. God bless you, dear one. Our hearts are the same. We want the same. Blessed be God. But be grateful for your faith, Pat. Thank you. God will I use will. it to help wayward people. Um, and and that, that'll be a great blessing. Okay. Oh, okay, thank you. I'll do my best. <laughs> All right, and I'll do my best. We, we do it together. God bless you. We have an email from somebody who writes in anonymously <clears throat> and says, why do we use rosary beads? Is it only just to keep count now, or is there still a blessing or indulgence applied to grasping each bead? 
just wondering, as I am a rosary maker, thank you. Well, thank you for being a rosary maker. There's not a blessing or indulgence applied to grasping each bead. Um, Our Lady gave the rosary uh, to St. Dominic. It is so understood. And um, and it it is that we can pray um, the the um, the mysteries, which is uh, why did Our Lady give it? Because she's a Jewish mother who wants everybody to know her son and to homeschool her children. So all the Rosary is in all its mysteries is the life of Christ that we learn that. But the Rosary, um, the practice of praying with beads is very, very old. In fact, the beads used to be called paternosters, our fathers, because people would pray 150 of them to keep track of the psalms, 150 psalms which they memorized, um, and they would pray so many Hail Marys and our fathers on them uh, before uh, the the Middle Ages, before Mary gave it. So um, we use the rosary beads because our, our mother has given them to us to keep track, to meditate on the life of Christ, um, and it does help us keep count. But there's not an additional indulgence applied to grasping each bead. Um, one of the, the most beautiful image I ever saw of a mother playing the rosary is praying the rosary on her baby's toes while she was breastfeeding. She's breastfeeding this month-old baby on her lap and praying the rosary on the baby's ten toes. The most beautiful picture I've ever seen. Just gorgeous. Um, We have an email from Lucy, and Lucy says, Hi, Mother Miriam. I hope this email finds you well. It does, dear one. Thank you. This winter I've been feeling down the pits mentally and physically. I think it's been one of the worst ones, and it's not over yet. I do not know what to do to lift myself up. I do not see anything positive happening to this world. My family and I have also been sick for quite a while with flus and viruses, and it's been hard to shake them off, which doesn't help. Please suggest something I can do to lift myself up and be more motivated, more positive, and feeling more healthy. Thanks in advance. Lucy, my dear one, God has given us the remedy. He wrote to the Second Thessalonians, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you. And you say, come on, I'm down in the pits. Give thanks for it. Give, how do you, what do you give thanks for being down in the pit mentally and physically? How do you do that? Lord, thank you for putting me in the pit or allowing me to be in the pit that I know my need of you and that I can call out in prayer to you. What would happen if I were down in the pits and hated you or angry at you or, or ignored you? That would be terrible. The only reason you allow suffering and trials, the only reason is to bring us closer to you. So Lucy, this may seem crazy, and don't worry about your feelings. Give thanks. When, we get, when you, you get off this program, go on your knees before a crucifix if you can and say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I'm wasting the suffering which you told us never to waste. I accept the suffering you've allowed me mentally and physically. I don't say you're the cause of it. I don't know the cause of it, but you have allowed it. If it touches me, you have allowed it. And I offer that suffering mentally and physically to you, Lord, in union with your sacrifice for the souls of sinners and for my family 
to get healthier physically. And for people that I know who reject you, take my suffering now and join it with your cross. What happens when you do that, Lucy? That's what is meant by offering it up. And what happens is that you don't alleviate your situation necessarily, but it no longer controls you because you have defeated the Satan. You've put your, he's allowed you to suffer and you've put it to work for the salvation of souls. And as far as the sickness does, make sure your family takes vitamin C every day, vitamin D3 every single day, and uh, turmeric and a multivitamin every single day. C, D3, and um, multivitamin uh, and turmeric included. Uh, I think that'll help you greatly. And praise God in everything. Praise Him when you cough. Say, Lord, thank you for this cough. You've allowed it, and it's going to clear up my chest, and I offer the suffering to you for the salvation of my family. Do that, Lucy. It will help you. Um, Snow White, whistle while you work, and the truth may take you, will take you far. We'll be right back. In the New Testament's first letter of St. John, chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, we read, And we have this confidence in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in regard to whatever we ask, we know that what we have asked Him for is ours. It's incredible to realize how much God loves us, what He has promised us, and what He'll give us through our trust in Him. Have you prayed for the Station of the Cross today? We would be grateful if you would remember us each day in your prayers, whether it's the Most Holy Rosary of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Chaplet of Divine Mercy, the Liturgy of the Hours, the Most Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, or any other prayers you pray throughout the day. Please also pray for the intentions of your fellow Catholic radio listeners. It's so important for us to remember to keep one another in prayer. Station of the Cross has many ways to keep you informed about our programming. You can view the highlights of our primetime programming schedule or the full 24-7 programming grid at both thestationofthecross.com or the free iCatholic Radio app. Just search under the Programming tab. Our website also offers a printable version for your convenience. The Catholic Current, bringing Christ to the world and the world to Christ. The genius of the Middle Ages was to see all things as a whole and integrated. Now everything is specialized. And I love this one quote that says, we're, we're learning more and more about less and less. Until eventually we know everything about nothing. Awesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the Catholic Current, 5 p.m. Eastern, from the Station of the Cross and on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. These 10 minutes is plenty of time for you to call in if you wish with anything on your heart. one 511 5483 or email 
at motheratthestationofthecross.com. We have an email from Susan who writes, Hi, Mother Miriam. I joined the Protestant Church but was raised a Catholic. I want to come back home, but I do not want to put any other idols before God. Would me going back mean that I have to worship Mary and the saints? I'm confused. Dear Susan, if anyone worships Mary and the saints, they're not Catholic, they're pagans. God alone is to be worshipped. God alone. That is a misunderstanding that was uh, promulgated by, um, um, oh, I forget his name, who wrote Roman Catholicism years back, uh, everything against the Catholic Church. Uh, You'll never find in any of the teachings that Catholics worship Mary or the saints. Although, in old language, old English, the word worship was was contracted. It came together from two words, worth-ship. And that means to to give someone their due, like the scriptures say, to give uh, elders the honor they are due. That's all it means. So if someone speaks about worshiping Mary... It's not adoring her as God alone is to be adored and truly worshipped. It is to be giving her her due. And we do that often. We give certain saints, our parents, uh, teachers. Um, there are a number of people we give greater honor to because of their position um, or their character. And that's all it is with Mary and the saints. Um, so no, you will not worship them, but you will be able to ask them to help you. They will be able to pray for you. So no, if you come to love Mary and the saints, um, you will be a very happy Catholic. And I'm going to suggest a book for you, Susan. It's written by Patrick Madrid. It helped me into the church and it has to do with worship so-called of Mary and the saints. And the title is any friend of God's. G-O-D apostrophe S, is a friend of mine. Any friend of God's is a friend of mine by Patrick Madrid. It it deals with, um, again, um, so-called worship um, uh, out of hand, what is not true worship of Mary, and uh, prayer to the saints. It's very, very, very good. Um, We have an email, uh, and I would say, dear Susie, uh, or Susan, my sister's name was Susan. I'm calling you Susie already. Um, give us a call. Do something if we can do anything to help you with any um, particular subject. Uh, there's a book written by Carl Keating, um, uh, published by Ignatius Press. It's called uh, Fundamentalist and Cath- No Fundamentalism and Catholicism. Fundamentalism and Catholicism, and it takes each um, objection between Protestantism and Catholicism and gives you the true Catholic teaching on it and the scriptural base for it, Catholicism, Catholicism, and fundamentalism. And then I would say your number one website could be catholic.com, and just put any subject in their search bar, and they'll be of enormous help to you. We have an email from someone who writes in Anonymous and says, Hello, Mother. I listen to your show every day, and I'm thankful for you and your work. I'm so glad. Thank you. I was wondering, what would your advice be to someone discerning a possible career change? How can I overcome the fear of uncertainty? Well, don't do it while you're in fear or uncertainty. I can tell you that straight up. 
God's way is the way of peace. It doesn't mean you won't be nervous because you can't foretell the future. But if you, if you live with fear or uncertainty, it's not the time to do it. Um, pray a novena. Uh, pray to St. Joseph the worker and um, ask him to lead you uh, and give you a peace and a direction if you are to change a career. Changing a career is not just changing a job. So a career is more major. And I would say whatever you do, pray and don't quit one job without another one. Don't do that. Continue faithful in your current work and do it with all your mind, heart, and soul. Don't slough off. And then let God lead you to the new situation as his confirmation before you would leave the old. Leave the old, and then you shouldn't have fear or uncertainty because you'll be in the new. The uncertainty will be whether you really take to it as much as you did the other career, and there's no crime if you don't. You can go back to the other career, even if it's not back to the old job. So pray. Don't do anything if you're in a state of fear or uncertainty. We have an email from Alicia. When someone is accused of being a modernist, can you please tell me what that means? I've heard the term thrown around in some Catholic circles lately, even toward our Holy Father. Thank you, Mother. Um, Someone who's a modernist has pretty much thrown off tradition and embraced the current modern world. They're a modernist. They have gone for the modern philosophies, whatever they are, but they're opposed to true Catholic teaching. In the Catholic Church, that's what we're talking about. If the Holy Father is referred to as a modernist, it's because he has embraced um, modernism. He's embraced the current thinking of the world. And he has much to do with the um, one world order that's being formed uh, that's completely modern. It is to, str- to destroy the church and to destroy uh, the world as we know it. So um, if someone is accused of being a modernist, it's because they've bought in to the modern philosophy of the world, which is death, by the way, and uh, jettisoned, um, abandoned the uh, faith that Christ gave us. Um We have an email from Paula who says, Hello, Mother Miriam. I was hoping that you might be able to clear something up for me after a conversation I had with a friend last week. Do we know definitely how the text of sacred scripture was transformed, transferred rather, from one generation to the next? How do we know for sure that bits and pieces were not lost along the way? We know that, Paula, because our Lord has promised to lead us into all truth uh, till the end of time. And that what we call the deposit of faith in the church is that deposit of faith through scripture and tradition that God has given us. And the same Holy Spirit that lived through the authors, the writers of God is the author of scripture, but through men. Uh, imbued by the Holy Spirit. Um, So it was God that wrote the scripture using the personality of men, um, superintending them, so to speak. Um, And the truth was written. And the same Holy Spirit that guided those men to write the scriptures 
um, and to, to declare uh, authentic truth from the authentic magisterium, such as the um, um, Assumption of Our Blessed Lady, those kinds of things. The same Holy Spirit who gives that information through men, um, uh, by his Holy Spirit, keeps it. He keeps it. The Holy Spirit who gave it has the power to keep it, even through sinful men. Even through sinful men. So it's not up to men... Uh, to keep bits and pieces. It's up to the Holy Spirit to make sure that it is the faith once delivered to the saints and nothing will destroy it till the end of time. Absolutely nothing. Um, you can also go to catholic.com in their shop and look for um, how the scriptures were came together. That'll be very informative as well. There's the closing music for our program, beloved. We'll be with you tomorrow, God willing. Um, and I would hope that you prepare for Sunday, for Septuagesima, for preparation for Lent. God bless you. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>